Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Turn with me to Philippians chapter uh, Philippians chapter 2 before we get into our main message this morning. <clears throat> Excuse me, chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3. Hallelujah. Thank God for revival. Amen. Say, I'm experiencing revival. That was a little weak. I'm experiencing revival. Hallelujah. Our church is experiencing revival. Hallelujah. Praise God. Well, you know, revival isn't static. He said it's not static. It requires feeding. Amen. There, there aren't any, there, there is no cruising altitude in, in, uh, in, in revival. You don't reach a level and then level off on a cruising speed. Amen. Revival is reaching, reaching for more. In Philippians chapter three, this is the best uh, description, I think, of, 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 of a heart uh, of revival. In verse 12, he says, not that I have already attained or am already perfected. How many of you believe your neighbor's not perfected yet? The person sitting next to you, amen? Well, just know they think the same thing, Amen. I am not already perfected, but I press on. I press on. That's not just, that's not just uh, stumbling on. I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, to have laid hold of it yet. Now, if the Apostle Paul could say, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, if he could say, I do not consider myself as having fully laid hold of everything for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me, I think there's room for us. There's room for us to still lay hold of some things. Well, it goes without saying, doesn't it? Amen. He said, I do not, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended or to have laid hold of it, but one thing I do, Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward and high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He's talking about more than just pressing and reaching to those things are ahead, he's talking about more than natural things. He's talking about more than reaching for that, for that advancement at work, for that new position, for that degree, for that uh, uh, financial goal. He's talking about more than that. And there's nothing wrong with those things. He said, but he said, I press toward the goal for the prize of the high calling." The upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. That's the heart of revival right there. 
That's a person who is revived, who is stirred. And like I said, it's not static. It's not something that you, that you just get to a place and say, well, you know, I'm, I'm stirred up and I'm good now. Uh, no, 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 no. Glory to God, we're ever reaching for more. Keep reaching for more. Keep reaching for a greater experience, a deeper experience in God. Keep reaching. Stay hungry. Stay hungry. Stay hungry for more of God. That's what feeds revival is hunger. Amen? Well, praise the Lord. We're in revival, but we're not fully revived. Amen. There's more reviving ahead. Glory to God, and we're reaching for it. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, let's pray before we get into the, to the regular message this morning. Father, we thank you for your... Praise the Lord. Well, we're still talking about revival praying. Amen. Prayer sustains revival. Amen. Uh, prayer causes revival to increase. And like I've already said, it's, it's hungry praying. It's praying that's reaching forward. Praying that's coming from a heart that's not satisfied with what we have. But we want more of God. We want more. It's not that, it's not that, that God is holding anything back. He has given us everything. But when I say we want more of God, we want to experience more. We want to walk in more of what we have. That's what Paul was saying that he hadn't laid hold of. He didn't say God hadn't offered it. He didn't say it wasn't given. He said, I haven't laid hold of it yet. And that's what, that's what revival praying is all about, is reaching and laying hold of more. Amen? And so we have several texts. And let's look, first of all, at uh, uh, Ephesians again. Turn over there to Ephesians chapter... Uh, go with me to Ephesians chapter 6 again. Hallelujah. Verse number 18 says, Praying always with all prayer. Some translations say every kind of prayer. Praying always with every kind of prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. When we talk about revival praying, uh, we're talking about a church that prays. I said uh, several weeks ago that the, a few years ago, uh, I really got disturbed personally because our church was not a praying church. Doesn't mean that nobody prayed, but I'm just saying that uh, generally speaking, we weren't that we, we we were not a praying church. There was not a move of God in the area of prayer, and uh, I became greatly concerned about it and praying about it myself. And uh, the Lord gave us a plan which we acted on, and a prayer uh, move of God. Uh, uh, I could say a move in prayer took hold in our church, and. Uh, it's important to have a private prayer life. We don't want to minimize that. We'll come back to that uh, later because that's part of it as well. But we're focusing uh, also today on the corporate praying of the church. The fact that as a body, we need to be a praying people. Amen? Go with me. And I, I introduced this on Sunday night of last week. But I didn't get very far into it. And I want to go further today. But I want to recap some of the things I said Sunday night. So go with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And let's see uh, God's estimation. 
of the church. What does God, how does he describe the church? I'm talking about the local church. You understand when the apostles wrote the letters to the churches, these epistles, and they referred to the church, the word church literally means a a visible assembly of people. The word is taken from both the secular and the religious background of the day. And uh, in the secular sense, it it actually meant a political assembly or a a civic assembly. In other words, a group of people gathering together in the town square to conduct uh, uh, official civic business. So it didn't have this uh, esoteric, you know, uh, concept of the universal church, the universal brotherhood of all believers. That really wasn't the first thing that came to people's minds. The first thing they heard when they heard church was an assembly. And so, and that's the primary uh, focus of the church in the New Testament. It was a number of years ago that I heard for the first time, I heard Lois Toucher, she was ministering here one time with Shekinah Glory, and she said that in the Bible, uh, the word church is used like 105 times, and uh, over 80 of those times, it's referring to the local church. And think about, it's the, the references to the church Four to one is referring to the local church, not the universal church. Now, we don't want to dismiss the universal church. That's a glorious and wonderful revelation and truth that we are all members of the body of Christ universally. We believe that when that's wonderful. But the primary focus of the New Testament, if you go, and I, so I didn't, I I was shocked. I couldn't hardly believe it when she said that. So I went through my concordance and I, and I looked up every reference to the church and I looked at the setting in which that word church was used. What, what was the apostle talking about when he used that word, the church? What was he referring to? And, and uh, four out of, of five times, it was referring to a local assembly. So when we read this today, let us understand that that's how the people of the first generation, that's how they understood the message of the church. So here in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he's talking about the body. And it says in verse 12, for as the body, the human body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. Talking about the physical body. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. Now, he's he's using the illustration of the physical body. But, of course, we're we're applying this to to the spiritual body, even the local church. He's talking about the physical body. He says, God has placed the members, each one of them in the body, just as he pleased. And now, you know, that, that, that tells me right there that evolution's not true. God placed the members, each one of them in the body, just as he pleased. Amen. 
But if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed they are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body. Just another side uh, thought. God composed the body. It didn't just happen. Amen. Life didn't just happen on this planet. Amen. I was talking to somebody not too long ago, and he said, I just, I just can't believe in, in God. He said, I want to, but I just can't believe that there's a God, a, a, a deity, a God who created all things. He said, it just, it just doesn't line up. And he said, just science it d- doesn't support that. I said, well, well what does science support? Where, where did everything come from? Well, this happened and that happened, and there was this, you know, reaction. I said, yeah, but before that. And then this happened, yeah, but before that. Well, I said, you know, how, how did something come from nothing? Physically, how did something come from nothing? Well, he said, I have to admit that in the area of, of the laws of physics, there are some things we obviously don't know. I said, so you're willing to accept a big question mark about the beginning and the origin of all things and say, well, physical science, as we know, can't explain it. You're willing to accept that, but you won't accept the premise that that big question mark is a big G and it's God. (laughs) I mean, what other plausible explanation could there be? In the natural, nothing can come from nothing. The every, everything we know about science and physical laws demonstrates the fact that if you have nothing, you will have nothing. That's all you'll have. Nothing is nothing. And it doesn't just become something. It can't. There's only one way it can happen, and that is if there's a God who always existed. See, I, some people can believe that there's a big something out there in science that, that defies explanation, but they can't believe there's a God that defies explanation. I would rather believe in God. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. I better get back to my message. Where was I? But God, no, nope, that's not where I was. Verse 24, but God composed the body. Yeah, God composed the body, having, greater, ha- having given greater honor to that part which lacks it that there should be no schism or division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Is that true, Greg? He broke his hand. He's got a, 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 a cast on his, on his right hand, and he's right-handed. And I guarantee it affects his entire body. Everything he does, isn't that right? Well, praise the Lord. That there should, he said, and if one member suffers, verse 26, all the members suffer with it, or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. So if we are the body of Christ 
and members individually, then wouldn't it also be true that God put the members in the body where he wanted them? Amen. God designed each one of the members to be in a particular place and to, and to uh, function in a certain capacity in the body. Or else the whole illustration is, is, is off. Isn't that right? And notice what it said in verse 25. The members should have the same care for one another. The members should have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now, if one member suffers, he said all the members suffer with it. Well, is this saying that if one person is uh, uh, defeated and is sick, then everybody else has to be sick too? If one person is depressed, then everybody else needs to be depressed. It's not what that's saying. But what it is saying is that we should have a spiritual care for one another. And with, and listen, in the sense of spiritually bearing one another's burdens. Galatians says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. When one member suffers, all the body is to suffer with it in prayer. You understand? In other words, we enter into, in prayer, we enter into the suffering of that one. We take their burden as our own. We, there, there, in prayer, there is a, a, an identification with the one for whom we pray and we're able to enter in spiritually to that, to that need and that burden and help them lift it so that when one member suffers, all the members, not just one or two, not just the pastor, all the members suffer with it and what happens, that suffering in prayer, that supplication in prayer, that lifting of that burden, one another's burdens, bearing that burden, when we do that, that burden is lifted and then rejoicing comes and we all rejoice together. Amen. Amen. See, when you, when you have prayed for someone, when you have entered into their need in prayer and took it, even though you're not, you're in your natural self, you're not experiencing that same need. They might be going through a great time of dark depression and you don't know what it's about or what's causing it. And maybe, maybe if they had a better understanding of the word of God, Maybe they wouldn't be in that situation. Maybe they wouldn't allow the things in life to dominate them and overcome them. But you see, having an attitude, well, they ought to know better, that won't carry the day. That's not caring for one another. Come on. It's praying for that person in their depression. And whenever you take that burden before God and you love them enough and care for them enough that you're willing to get under that with them and help carry that, when you become a part of it, when their day of deliverance comes, when God breaks that, things over, oh, that thing over their life, oh, I'm telling you what, it's real for you. Oh, hallelujah, you, you, you take them by the hand and you're weeping with them, but now you're not weeping in sorrow, you're weeping in joy because you help bring deliverance, glory to God. That's a caring church, that's a praying church. Amen. 
all the members should have the same care for one another. We should suffer and rejoice together. Suffering to bring deliverance. Not, see, Jesus, Jesus is our example. He suffered for us. He entered into fellowship with our sufferings, not simply as a measure of, of uh, you know, just, just fellowshipping with us in the suffering. He entered into that fellowship of our suffering in order to bring us out of it. So we don't just get in the ditch with somebody and wallow in their suffering and pat themselves and ourselves on the back and say, oh, we are a poor thing. It's just terrible. Look what's happened to you. I feel so bad about what's happened. It's just not fair. Let's just sit and I'll just cry with you. for No, you get into prayer with them. You take their need as your own and you lift it up to God with us. With, see, this is, this is not casual praying. This is praying where you enter into fellowship with that person. Glory to God. And, you, and you, you bring them from a place of weeping to a place of rejoicing. And then you weep and rejoice with them. Amen. Glory to God. Now some people, go with me to Romans chapter 15. Romans 15. Verse number 1. We then who are weak. Man, I am having a day today. I looked at this little, I have this little uh, digital clock on, on the platform here. I looked at it when I got up in the pulpit and it hasn't advanced one minute. <laughs> Woo, glory. Hallelujah. I guess I've been in, a, in some kind of, a, of a, a time, you know, thing here because I sure felt like it had been going for several minutes. I haven't been going a full minute yet. <laughs> glory to God. Woo, I'm going to get a lot done today. I don't know what I did to this. <laughs> it says 10.08. Time is it anyway. Glory to God. Well, I just wasted a minute there. Uh, verse, <laughs> verse one says, we then who are strong ought to bear with the, with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. The older King James says we ought to bear with the infirmities of the weak. And that's really the word there is the infirmities or the weakness. It literally says we ought to bear with the weaknesses of the weak. We ought to bear with their weaknesses. Amen. Amen. Now, the, the New King James says to bear with. We then who are strong ought to bear with. But I'm concerned that that, that gives the impression that we're just supposed to bear with people. You know, just put up with them. And, uh, and, and if that's the best you can do, that's better than just, you know, writing somebody off, okay? Just don't have anything to do with it. It's better than that. But, but I think the real meaning here is the word bear simply means to carry, to lift, to bear the, the weaknesses of the weak. Now, the weakness that it's talking about, if you look at the context, the previous verse, there were people who were confused over uh, meats and uh, offerings because in their days in the, in the secular pagan temples people offered uh, uh, sacrifices animal sacrifices uh, to 
false gods. And then the meat that was left over, they sold in the marketplace. And some Christians had, had a problem going to the market and buying meat because they were concerned that the meat had been sacrificed to a false god or to a demon. And they didn't want to partake of that. Well, Paul said, you know, it really doesn't matter because the gods that they sacrifice to aren't gods. They're nothing. They don't, they don't, they don't have any power. They, there's nothing. They sacrifice them to nothing. So the, the sacrifice is in the, per, is in the mind of the person that offered it. It didn't affect the meat because it wasn't offered to any kind of a god. So he said, you, you know, you, you shouldn't, when you go into the market, he said, don't ask where the meat came from. Because then if that's going to trouble your mind, just don't ask. Don't ask, no, don't ask, don't tell. Right? He said, don't ask. But some people still had a problem with it. He said, we then who are strong ought to bear, carry the scruples of the weaknesses of the weak and to not please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. See, he said, if, if me eating something that's sacrificed to a, to a false god, if that's going to cause my brother to stumble, I just won't eat it anymore. I just won't ever eat it again. I just won't ever eat it. I'll just, I'll just do without. I'll do without rather than causing my weaker brother to stumble. Well, that's, that's walking in love. That's part of a caring church. Now, at the same time, though, we want people to grow so that they no longer are troubled over things they don't need to be troubled over. So we bear their infirmities, we bear their weaknesses, first of all, by bearing with them in the sense of not offending them and being willing to sacrifice what we want and what we desire for somebody else's good. That's one way. Another way is we bear their, their infirmities in prayer. Amen. Pray for them so that they will receive more enlightenment, so that they won't be troubled anymore with these things. And of course, we have the prayers over in Ephesians. Turn over there and read real quick. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. These are prayers that Paul prayed by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit for the church of Ephesus. Well, if, if it's by the inspiration of the Spirit, then it's given for all of us. It'll work for the church in High Springs. It'll work for impact. It'll work for First Baptist. It'll work for a church anywhere. Isn't that right? He says, I therefore, verse 15, chapter 115, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what, are the, what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. And then he goes on and explains how great this power is. 
But the point is, he said, I'm praying that you will receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. That the eyes of your understanding, your heart, your inward man would be enlightened. That you will know what is the hope of, your call, of his calling. And what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and the exceeding greatness of his power towards you. Well, that's the prayer. That's prayers we need to pray for one another. You can pray that for yourself. You want to know more, you want more understanding of the scripture? This is the place right here. Pray this prayer. Pray, this is not a prayer you just pray one time and forget. You pray it continually, that God would continually give you more understanding, more revelation, more knowledge. And it's the best way there is to pray for a fellow Christian. Particularly someone who's struggling. Not, not being able to really grasp the victory like you have. You know, there will always be people among us who are not at the same level. And I don't, and I don't mean that as a put down. I'm just saying that, that we're born into the family of God as babies and we have to grow up. And all of us are on different uh, degrees, experiencing different degrees of maturity. Some of us are more mature, some of us are less mature, but we need to pray for one another so that we're all growing. Instead of just, like I said, instead of just saying, well, so-and-so, you know, they just need to get a hold of the word. They just need to read the Bible. There's no need for them to act that way or feel that way. Well, no, why don't you bear their burden? Why don't you, instead of just blowing them off, why don't you pray for them? Amen. Spend some time. Give yourself a little bit. Now, some people are afraid that if they, you know, agree with God, if they give themselves, okay, God, I, I, you know, I want you to use me in prayer. They're afraid that God will say, ooh, I got somebody here. I, you know, I'm just going to use you 24 hours a day. You don't have a life anymore. You just gave yourself to prayer. Woo-hoo, I've got somebody. That's not the way God does it. He, 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 he won't abuse you. There will be times he'll call on you to pray, but not all the time. You'll still have a life. Your life will be more rewarding. Your life is more rewarding when it's invested in somebody besides yourself. Amen. You want to be really miserable in life, just think about nobody but yourself. Just invest all of your time and all of your thoughts and all of your energies and all your concerns and all of your love in yourself. You'll be miserable and everybody else will be miserable of you. That's the way, the way to say that. Come on. No, God will not abuse you. But it doesn't, it doesn't take that much effort, that much time to be concerned about somebody and to pray for them. Well, glory to God. There are other prayers. There's another prayer in the third chapter of Ephesians. And, and we've read these before. Uh, in the third chapter, verses 14 through eight, uh, verse uh, 19, but then go on over with me to Philippians. And I mentioned this on Sunday night. There's another prayer in the first chapter of Philippians. Verse nine, it says, "In this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in all knowledge and discernment. Well, if that was good for Paul to pray for the church at Philippi, it's good for us to pray for the church here. If it was good for Christians then, it's good for Christians now. If they needed it, we need it. Amen. Amen. He said, I pray that, you're, that you may 
Approve the things that are excellent. That you may be sincere and without, and without offense till the day of Christ. That you may approve the things that are excellent. What in the world is that talking about? Other translations say that you may have the ability to always recognize the highest and the best. Now think about that. We could pray for one another that we would always recognize the highest and the best. You know, some people spend their lives majoring on minors. All wrapped up with things that don't really matter. Things of less importance and, and, and overlook the big important things in life. The, the more weighty matters of the things of God. He said, I'm praying that you will recognize the highest and the best. And don't accept living life on a low level. Yeah, you can get by living down there, but the best thing is to get up here where, where God's best is. Amen. And then go over with me to Colossians. Chapter 1, verse 9. For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Whew! What a strong verse. Think about what he's praying. He's saying, I'm praying that you will be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. In other words, knowing God's will for your life, but not just knowing the what, knowing the why, the how, the when, all of the details about it. In other words, spiritual understanding of the will of God. Oh, hallelujah. It's a good prayer. Amen. That you may walk, verse 10, worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long suffering with joy. Well, praise the Lord. I tell you what, there's a lot there. Amen. We could spend a lot of time talking about that. But we're talking about, what we're talking about is praying for one another so that we grow as we should. In other words, don't just let someone that you know, a member of the church, one of your brothers and sisters, don't let them languish in, in, in weak thinking, troubled thinking, not walking in victory. Don't be satisfied with somebody else in the church that just can't seem to lay hold of the victory. Get in there and help them. Be an encouragement to them. Amen. Encourage them in the Lord. Pray for them. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, amen. Hallelujah. Well, glory to God. It's a praying church. That's what a praying church does. A praying church is a church that is full of people that have made the decision to live beyond themselves. Live beyond themselves. Live a life of caring about somebody else enough to just to do more than say, 
Sure hope you'd get better. Sorry for your loss. No, do something in prayer for them. Oh, hallelujah. That's what a praying church does. And see, everybody can be involved in this ministry. This doesn't require an appointment by anybody. It doesn't require a title. It doesn't require uh, anybody's permission. This, the ministry of prayer is, see, back in the, uh, I'll close with this, back in the 1980s and 90s, when Dad Hagen wrote this book, it's, it's been retitled, The Art of Prayer. It was originally entitled, The Art of, of Intercession. And I was present in the seminar when he taught this, uh, this, this teaching that the book came out of. And when people got a hold of that, they, they misinterpreted some things. And that's why he re-edited the book and, and, uh, and changed the name of it. But people began to think, well, prayer is a special ministry. Woo, I have, I'm an intercessor. I, I have the ministry of intercession. And, and they began to look upon themselves as if you were an intercessor, then you were... A, you know, you had a special calling on your life. You were super spiritual because you were an intercessor. And, you know, the pastor has, you know, uh, he has, I'm one of his intercessors. So I'm in the background, you know, I'm, I'm praying for the pastor. I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm, I've, I'm in an, uh, the upper echelon. You know, I, I've, I've, I'm on another level than everybody else. And pride entered in. And, you know, the Bible says, you know what it says about pride? Pride goes before destruction. Isn't that right? Well, people got into pride and naturally they got into, into error and got all into all sorts of extreme uh, practices in prayer. It got completely messed up. No, prayer is a special ministry. It is a special, wonderful ministry, but everybody has this ministry. You're not, you're not a special intercessor. You are a Christian. You are a believer. You are a member of the body of Christ. You are a servant of God. That makes you an intercessor. That makes you a prayer whether you pray or not. Amen. That is your, that is your title. That is your calling. We're all called to this. Amen. And, and, and as such, everybody, because we're all called to prayer, everybody can enter into it. Oh, hallelujah. Glory to God. Well, praise the Lord. Let's stand up. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Isn't the Lord wonderful? Aren't you glad he put you in a body? Aren't you glad he put you in this body? Amen. Aren't you glad that he made you a part of some? Listen, don't just come to church. Be the church. Be, don't just look at, your, don't just look at, at, at the church as a place where you go. 
Some of you need to stop referring to this church as your, you know, someone else's church. People will talk to me sometimes and they'll say, well, and they go to church here. They'll say, well, at your church. So wait a minute, it's our church. Amen. Make, make their church your church. Make this church your church. And as such, enter into the life of the church. Don't just sit back and go through the motions. Roll up your spiritual sleeves. Look around you and say, oh, thank God he's put me in this body. I'm, realize that you are connected. You're connected. The scripture describes the body, the local church, as, as the physical body uh, knit together by joints and ligaments. Aren't you glad your limbs have joints and ligaments? Aren't you glad, aren't you glad there's, there's more in, on, in your shoulder than just skin holding it on? No, we are held together. Our physical bodies are held together because they're, they're, they're made and fashioned together. See yourself that way in this local church. That you are connected. And as such, you have a function. There are places to serve, things to do. But the most important thing that all of us can do is pray. That's the most important of all. Amen. Not just praying for the pastor, praying for one another. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad you're not just swinging out there somewhere? You know, just a disconnected part, just floating around. You know, one minute you're here and one minute you're somewhere else. Oh, hallelujah. That's no place to live. There are Christians that live like that. They just go from church to church, just bounce around, you know. They think they're free. They're not, they're not growing. They're not growing. Well, praise the Lord. I'll have to stop somewhere. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Glory to God. Let's just lift our hands and thank Him for His goodness and mercy. Hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you for putting us into a body. Glory to God. Making us members. Just as it pleases you, Father. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Glory to God. We care for one another. Amen. Thank you, Lord. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.